All right, that's the story of Jonah. Amen. <laughs> that was the hardest video to find. We always want to try to get some type of bumper video. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, that's, I know it's kind of cartoonish, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I really wanted something different. I never could find the one thing I wanted to share with you, but, you know, that really does encapsulate the whole book of Jonah, doesn't it? So find your Bibles, and we're going to look at Jonah today. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. He's like, well, that really helps me out a lot. Yeah, I know, I know, but, but and there again, I know I'm cheating. I already got my mark, so, but I, I really do have uh, grace for you and love for you, so I want to help you find the book of Jonah. It's between the books of Obadiah and Micah. All right? That ought to help you out there. But uh, you got plenty of time to find the book of Jonah, and we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 today. I've entitled this whole series, The Story of Grace, and you're thinking, all right, so how long, how long are you going to be in this series? I, I, I don't know. I've kind of planned out where I wanted to go, and I could go as, as few as maybe three messages, or I could stretch it out to seven. I mean, I'm like, gosh, Lord, I, don't really, I really have struggled with this. It's been a while since I've struggled with the sermon series as to how to break it out, because there's so much. It's a rich, rich book. It's a short book, but man, it really is a rich book. So if anything, I may preach some, some of the messages that I really want to preach on Wednesday nights. And if you come on Wednesday nights, you know, we have a great time of prayer, uh, short devotional. The devotionals might be stretched out a little bit if we stay in the book of Jonah. I had a great week in turn. I hope you guys did too. hope you're able to spend some more extra time with your family uh, since the kids are out of school and stuff like that. I know we did. Uh, and that's always a blessing because just like that, they grow up, right? Uh, we were looking at... Um, something tina got on her phone we photoshop i don't know what it, what it was that she has but it reminded us of so many years ago we ordered a picture of our family and then of tina's extended family you know cousins and stuff like that and it seemed like it was just like yesterday david but man kids just grow up really fast i feel old and i know what you're thinking you don't look old thank you very much i appreciate that but, um, but I really, I mean, I had such a great week studying, not only for these messages, but laying out where I feel like God wants us to go from the preaching standpoint for, not only for this year, and I know God can change it, and he has, but it's always good to have a plan. And, and I got a plan, and um, I'm itching. Can I just tell you what I'm itching to preach through? I'm itching to preach through the book of Acts, the book of Ecclesiastes, and then 1 Thessalonians. Uh, there's not enough Sundays, but um, anyway, that's, uh, that's to come. I've called this entire series, The Story of Grace, and I entitled this particular message, The Same, A Story of Grace. The book of Jonah, and we'll get to our text in just a minute, but the book of Jonah is, is really a story that if you're like me and you were on the cradle roll, y'all remember that? Some of you do. Kip Kaiser was probably on the cradle roll here. But if you were like me and you were brought to church, uh, by your parents or grandparents, and you've spent a lot of time in, in the kids' ministry and kids' Sunday school, like myself, you were probably told this story since you were little kiddos. And if you're like me, you were probably, as you walked into your kids' Sunday school class, you were probably given a sheet of paper, maybe that cardboard, that thick stuff, whatever that stuff, used, construction paper, right? Maybe you were given some, some paper like that, and you were given a crayon. And not the cheap crayons, Crayola. It's the only way to go, right? You were given a crayon and a sheet of paper by maybe a Sunday school teacher. Mine was on the ones I think about was Miss Corrine and Miss Lois Williams. Miss Lois Williams was an old maid. That's what they called her. 
I asked her one day, I said, Miss Lois, why are you an old maid? Kids can get away with asking stuff like that. But I never forgot what she told me. She's like, God never did, had it in store for me to get married. And for years and years, she worked at the Graniteville Manufacturing Company. Uh, she worked there in, in one of the spinning rooms, I believe, walked to work every day, always pushed a lawnmower and cut her grass. Somebody broke into her house years ago. And she's all, already in heaven. But somebody broke into her house. She woke up. She was startled. She woke up, and at the foot of her bed, she sees this man that had broken in. She didn't have anything that he could steal in her house. I mean, she was just very, 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 very poor, very limited financial means. But here's what Miss Lois said, I, and it's just a hoot. She's like, I'm going to pray for you. You need Jesus. And the guy left. How about that? Talk about a home security system. Mm, I'll tell you what, but, but I can't remember somebody like Miss Lois giving me a sheet of paper and a crayon and saying something like this. When you think of the book of Jonah, draw a picture of what you think about. So if, when you came through the doors of the Family Life Center this morning, and if you were given a sheet of paper, which you were, a bulletin, and if we were to give you a Crayola crayon, you would have got your favorite color, right? And if I were to ask you to draw a picture of what you think of when you think of Jonah, what would you draw? A big fish. Yeah, and, 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 and I know who said that, and she said it correct, because I'm surprised I didn't hear a whale, because it's a whale of a story, isn't it? Cheesy, I know, but yeah, it's exactly right. You probably would have drawn a, a big fish. You probably would have drawn a, a whale. If you were to go to Joppa today, you would see this big old statue of this jolly big whale of a fish. It looks like something the Imagineers did over at Disney World. I mean, it's just this big old fish that looks like a happy whale that swallowed Jonah. And you probably would draw a, a, you know, a fish like that or a whale or something like that. And, and that's an important part of the story, wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's a big deal in the story, this story, this big fish. And, and as a kid, I used to think it was a whale, a big old whale, right? A Moby Dick whale, something like that. You probably were there with me. And you probably thought about drawing something like that. But the interesting thing about the, the book of Jonah is this gigantic fish is only mentioned four times. So to be such a major player, it's only mentioned four times. If you were to draw something else, you, you might would draw Jonah. And I would wonder if you would draw Jonah, would you draw a picture of Jonah as he looked like before he went into the well or when he came out of the well? Because if you drew a picture of Jonah coming out of the well, can I just tell you something? He would be very ghastly. He would look like somebody out of a horror movie because he, he would be as white as a sheet I mean, all the gastric juices of that well would have really messed him up. He wouldn't. Can you imagine a prophet like that going to Nineveh saying, repent? They would have been freaked out over somebody that looked like that. Like, where have you been? Well, I've been in a well. You've been in a well. You look like me too. I mean, he just would have looked really, really weird. And Jonah is another main character here. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the book's named after him, right? He's only mentioned 18 times, but he's still a major, major player. And you could draw for you to, and if I were to give you a whole box of crayons, 64 comes in a box, right? At least they did, I think, when I was a kid. So if you were to have a whole box of crayons and all the paper in the world, you could have driven, or you could have, you know, drew out there the ship, maybe, or, or the people of Nineveh, or even what the town of Nineveh or the city of Nineveh looked like. But the biggest person, the biggest element in the whole book of Jonah, you, you wouldn't know how to draw because it's God. And how in the world do you draw God? Oh, one day we might have a better idea as to how we can, we can draw God, but, but God here, in these four little chapters in this book here in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, God's mentioned 38 times. So who do you think the main character is? 
the main character in the book of Jonah, in fact, the whole character of the whole Bible, it's all about the Lord, right? It's all about God. So everything that happens in this little book here in the Old Testament happens because of the Lord. And the message we see, oh, this is good. The message we see over and over and over again throughout this four little chapter book is that God never gives up. If you can't tell, I'm smiling. I can't tell if you're smiling. But God never gives up. And by the way, he never gives up on you. And he's never given up on me. And because of his grace, because he loves us so much, he gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Y'all get where I'm going with this? And he gives us an infinite number of chances to repent and to turn to him because that's how much he loves us. And he never gives up on us. All right, have y'all found Jonah yet? All right, I hope you have. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Jonah chapter 1. The Bible says these words, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So you get the drift as to what he's doing. He's running from God here. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and and these guys were probably professionals, but you don't really scare seamen like that. These guys were scared. They were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What are you doing? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, you know, really perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Uh, I like this next one. Can I just paraphrase that? Whose people are you? (laughs) And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, and we don't know how far out they were, but they were rowing hard. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them, and therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and uh, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, I'm excited and uh, somewhat nervous to be preaching, always somewhat nervous and excited to be 
standing before people that you bring here uh, to hear a word from you and to worship. So, Father, um, as I often do, would you uh, move me out of, out of the way today and may nothing I say or do take away from what you want to accomplish through the preaching of your word this morning and through the teaching of the Holy Spirit who is here, who is present. So, Lord, thank you um, that you never give up on us, even when we've thrown in the towel and given up on ourselves. So, Lord, would you show us that in a very real way this morning? Minister as only you can as we take heed for the next few minutes of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Well, I want us to look at this passage, and there again, I know this is a passage that's, that's pretty familiar to you. I mean, just about all of you, I would imagine, know the story of Jonah. You could probably preach it, you know, in my place today. That's how well many of you know this particular story. It's a familiar story. In fact, you know, ever since you were probably little kiddos, like I said a few minutes ago, you probably have been told the story, and that's all well and good, but here's the problem. Sometimes as we mature and as we get older, right, because all of us are older than we were yesterday, and as kids, sometimes we still see stories that we were taught in our Sunday school classes as kiddos. We still see them with the eyes of a child when we need to see them a little bit more as eyes of an adult. And there's nothing wrong with remembering stories as they were when we were kids. And praise the Lord for Sunday school teachers that taught me as a kid and taught you as a kid, right? I remember vividly all the Sunday school teachers I had in my home church. And I praise the Lord for them. Who would have thought, they, if they were to stand before you, they were thinking, golly, Rod's a preacher? He couldn't speak as a kid. He was in speech therapy for years. Yeah, God has a sense of humor. I, I can admit to that. But, but we need to just, I think, look at some of these stories again with fresh eyes. Nothing wrong with how we were taught them and learned these stories as a kid, but we need to see them again with some fresh eyes. And here's what I want and what I hope for you to see this morning. Jonah tried his best to run from a holy God tried his best to run from the great I am. Did everything he could to run from God. And here's what we see from God. God never ran from Jonah. As much as Jonah was trying to get out from the presence of God, God was always there. And he never, ever, ever gives up. So I'm going to talk about the type of people God never gives up on. And here's the first one. Now, God never gives up on people that are far from him. And I hope if you take notes, if anything that I say today you remember, I hope you remember this point. He never gives up on people that are far. Y'all ever been far from God? You probably have. And there's people you know and love that have probably been there as well. They're just far from God, and God never gives up on people like that. If you have your Bible still open, hope you do. Look at verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the God came to Jonah, and he said, Arise, you know, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. That little phrase there, the word of the Lord came, is a phrase that in the Old Testament comes up about a hundred times. And whenever it comes up in the Old Testament, it's always one or two ways. It's either God telling a prophet, I want you to go to particular people, I want you to preach to this particular people, they need to repent, they need to turn to me. Or on other occasions, it's a word of God that's given to a particular prophet like uh, Jonah here. And that's what God is doing here. He's speaking to Jonah. It's not a suggestion, is it? It's a command. He's giving Jonah a command. This is what I expect you to do, Jonah. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get up, arise, and I want you to go to Nineveh. This, this, it's a great city, Jonah, but they've got some issues. But I want you to get up, Jonah, and I want you to go, and I want you to preach against them. And, and the word there, that word arise, just doesn't just mean to get up when you feel like it. Yeah, I know it's a Saturday. 
You sleep, Jonah, I know you normally sleep in. No, 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 get that out of your mind. He's saying, get up. You know, it, times are the, are the urgency here. And it's an urgent word here, this word arise. And it means right now, I want you to right now get up immediately, Jonah, make your way to Nineveh. Now, did, Nineveh, did Jonah go to Nineveh initially? Uh, no. <laughs> Far from it. Now, but let's, let's talk about Nineveh, this great city that God was calling Jonah to. But Jonah's like, no way, Jose. He's bilingual. He's not about to go to, uh, to Nineveh here. But Nineveh is a major, major city, capital of Assyria. You say, well, how big was it? A little bit bigger than Sheraw. About 125,000 people called Nineveh at this time home. And if you were to, to count all the people on the outskirts of Nineveh, man, it really was a big metropolitan city for this particular day and age. So it was a great city, but man, it really was a bad city too. It was a terrible city in that sense. It was a very, very wicked, wicked city. But God says, Jonah, that's where I want you to go. Hey, do y'all know that the greatest revivals that have taken place in the world, and if we were just looking the West, you know, where we live, the greatest revivals to ever take place always took place in the cities. They got birthed in the cities. That's why there's an emphasis even in our church planning with Southern Baptists, uh, we want to go into the cities. We want to see the cities come to revival. And that's exactly as biblical as what God was doing to Jonah here. I want you to go to Nineveh here. Jonah, is, I realize it's some 500 miles away from home, and you're leaving everything behind that's, that, you're, that you found comfortable. You're, you're getting out of your comfort zone here, but it's where I want you to go. These people up here need to have a relationship with me. They need to repent because otherwise judgment's coming. So let me just remind you again, these are wicked, cruel people. How cruel? He didn't want to send anybody you knew or loved to this particular city. You say, were they really that bad? Yeah, they were. You know, um, you can tell a lot about people by what they put on their walls, right? Um, I briefly read a headline that President Biden's trying to say he's decorating the Oval Office with his particular pictures and stuff like that yeah 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 I, I get that too but but everybody's done it and if you were from a civilization like Assyria years ago you would do what we still like to do today and that's to put something in in stone to put something because it's kind of hard to get something once it's been etched in stone to get it out of that right and if you were to go to the British Museum today you would see an exhibit there for the kingdom of Assyria and there's a particular stone there the British Museum from a particular king of Assyria from taken from his palace and in that etching this is what they wanted people to know about the people of Assyria they were tough you didn't mess with them it's like what in the world was on that well it didn't say welcome to Nineveh <laughs> it didn't say hey we're glad you're coming to visit the kingdom of Assyria no 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 what was etched in that particular stone was the army of Assyria that had invaded another people another culture and they beheaded the men and then they were playing like hot potato with the heads of their captors all of that is etched in stone can i register it's a wicked city it was a wicked people but that's the culture that god was calling jonah to god came to him he's like hey i want you to leave home 500 miles is where i want you to go to nineveh and i want you to call out against it because their evil has come up against me it's almost as if god could just smell the stench of their wickedness so God says Jonah I'm sending you and you tell Nineveh that their judgment is coming they need to repent and I remind you our God 
though he's a holy God and though we have to stand before him in judgment one day, hey, if you know Jesus, isn't it a lot better? But our God never gives up on us. He never gives up on people far from him. Have, have y'all ever given up on people that you thought was just so far gone? People that just hurt you, hurt your family. They were so mean, so dirty. They told so many lies. They did so many hurtful things to you. Y'all ever just given up on somebody like that, that that's brought you hurt and brought your family hurt? Hmm. Maybe from a personal standpoint, you're, you're thinking of yourself here and you're thinking, you know, there's, there's just no way God would want to be in a relationship with me. Does he know what I've done? <laughs> yeah, he knows what you've done because, you know, he's God. But God loves you so much, just like he loved the people of Nineveh. He never, ever, ever gives up on them. So a person that seems so far from God is, is, is a person that God today still wants to reach because God loves them. So just understand that God, God's not going to give up on people that are far from him. Don't you love that about our God? Amen? Yeah, he never gives up on people that are far from him. But then secondly, this is another, per, another type of people that God never gives up on. He's never going to give up on people that, that fight against him. Never going to give up on people that fight against him. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose, and he rose to flee to Tarshish, which is so different from Nineveh. And he rose to flee to Tarshish, the Bible says, so that he could get away from the presence of the Lord. So, so you, have y'all ever wanted God just to give you, like, handwriting on the wall? Man, I have. God, it would be so much easier to do what you want me to do if you just would tell me clearly Lord, I know you gave Moses a burning bush, but hey, how about me a, a, a burning begonia or whatever? You know, just Lord, anything. You know, handwriting on the wall will be really, really sweet. God explicitly told Jonah, "This is what I want you to do: go to Nineveh." And you know the story. Does he go to Nineveh? And the answer is no, right? He doesn't go to Nineveh at all. In fact, he gets out of Dodge. And he goes down to this port city of Joppa. He gets on a ship heading to Tarshish. He pays his fare, and he goes way down to the bottom of the ship because he wants to escape from the presence of the Lord. Like God couldn't see him whether he's on the Lido debt or whether he's down in the bowls of the ship, right? Well, that's just what he's thinking. He's trying his best to get away from the presence of God here. And, and he could not, in his mind, I think, go any farther than going all the way here to Tarshish because God's like, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. It's about 500 miles away. And what Jonah does is go all the way almost to Spain is where he bought his ticket to go to, some 2,500 miles away, thinking that he could escape from the presence of God. I remind you, Tarshish in somebody like Jonah's mindset and in his culture, that was like going to Timbuktu, wherever Timbuktu is, right? I mean, he's living off the grid here. He wants to get off the map. He's, his plan was to get as far away as possible from the presence of the Lord. So he, get on, he got on a ship going as far away as possible. And his aim, as the Scripture tells us, was to get away from the presence of God here. Hey, by the way, can I tell you something really deep? That's not possible. You can't get away from God. He sees all. He's, he's the Lord. But in his heart and in his mind, I really think Jonah was so unwilling to do what God wanted him to do. He thought, maybe, just maybe, I can get away from the presence of God here. And there again, you just can't do that. The psalmist put it this way over in Psalms 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. In other words, David's telling us here in the Psalms that you can't go anywhere without God being there. You can't escape from his presence. You can go to the highest place in heaven or you can go to the lowest place on the earth. Guess who's there but God. You just can't escape. <laughs> you just can't escape. So God's not going to give up on people that fight for him. Hey, here's the thought. It's almost as if, as a preacher, it's almost as if Jonah is giving his resignation papers to God saying, hey, I'm out of it. I don't want to be a prophet any longer. Lord, it's, it's, I know what you want me to do. It's how y'all feel like you blessed me, but I'm tired of being in the ministry. And I'm going as far away as possible from your presence that I can go. <laughs> Just a thought. But here's what God saw Jonah doing. And there again, I'm using some sanctified imagination here. Here's what I think God saw Jonah doing. God sees Jonah wanting to pick a fight with the great I am. Guess who's going to win that fight? Yeah, it's not going to be Jonah. But in my mind, it's like Jonah is fighting here with God, wanted to pick a fight, and that's not the smartest thing to do because when you pick a fight with God, God's always going to win. God fights no holes barred. Right? I mean, he makes MMA look like rock, sock, knock them. Y'all remember those little games from kids? So Jonah gets into the ship, and he goes into the very depths of that ship, and they're out there on the Mediterranean Sea. It's not a sea cruise, mind you. And the Bible says in verse 4, y'all see it, that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now, Doppler radar didn't pick that up. No weather forecaster saw this storm coming. The Bible says that God hurled it at him, and it's a picture of a soldier taking a spear and hurling it at his enemy. So God's like throwing this storm upon them. And the Bible says that everybody knew what was going on, even the ship. <laughs> yeah, verse 4 says, the Bible says that the ship threatened to break up. It's the language of personification here. We're like a ship takes on human tendencies. It's like the ship was saying, I'm not going to make it through this storm. This storm's of God. I'm going, surely I'm going to break up. And then not only did the ship know it, but even the pagan sailors knew, hey, something's going on here. And they're crying out to their gods. They're crying out to the wind god, the sun god, the god of the sea. They're crying out to every single god they can think of to stop this particular storm. They were throwing things overboard to save their life. And then even the captain of the ship knew that God was fighting against someone on this ship here. So the Bible says, and y'all, we read about it, that he goes down to where Jonah was sleeping, and this is what he's saying. Well, hey, who in the world are you not? You're not praying to God? Pray to your God. We're all praying to our gods. When are you going to pray to your gods? And, and I can imagine Jonah saying something like this. I ain't about to pray to my God. I'm trying to flee from God. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. I don't want them to know that I'm here. <laughs> you know, sometimes being in the ministry, you know, you're not the smartest, you know, deck of cards there. And this, this, is, this is Jonah. He's trying to keep a low profile. But over and over and over again, God showed Jonah, I'm not giving up on you. And there again, he's not giving up on you either even when we fight against them. So Jonah comes up on the deck of the ship and the sailors decided to cast lots to determine what is the reason this storm is upon us. Now, let's talk a little bit about casting lots. 
In those days, if you were casting lots, you, you basically had two stones. And, and one of the stones, or on one side of the stones, they were white. The other side was black. So what they probably did here um, was they would throw the stones and they would ask a question. If you ask, answer the question in a certain way, you might be clear. If you answer it in a wrong way, uh, you're, you're guilty, right? So everybody, they're casting lots. Everybody on that ship had lots cast toward them. Maybe it went like this. Are, are, are you the reason for the storm? And the lots were cast, no. Are you the reason for this mess we're in on this ship? Uh, no. Hey, are you the reason why we're in this storm? And, and the lots were cast, and no. Then they got to Jonah. Are you the reason we're in the storm? Uh-oh. <laughs> Jonah. And that's when the questions are asked of him. Y'all ever watch the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? If you're my age, you probably have. They're kind of cool. And, and I can, I can kind of imagine Barbosa saying, Who are you here? What family are you from? State your business. What's your nationality? What tribe are you from? And, and Jonah answers him here. He says in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. And imagine this ship is just tossing and turning. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. And that's how Jewish folks back then said, This is who I am to somebody they didn't know. If you were a foreigner, hey, I, I'm a Hebrew. And then notice what else he says. He says, and I fear God. I fear God. And what he didn't tell the people on the ship with him was that I'm fighting against him. But they knew. Look at verse 10 if your Bibles are still open. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they're even smarter than old Jonah here. They're like, what are you doing? You can't run from God. So then they look at how they could fix the problem, and they knew that Jonah was the reason this storm was hurled at them. And Jonah says, you've got to throw me overboard. And if you do, the, the storm will stop. The waves will cease. And to their credit, they didn't want to do that. You know, the Bible tells us that they were trying to row back to shore. I really wonder how far off they got. Don't know. Maybe if they had an Evan route, they were to get back to shore, John. I don't, I don't know. But they weren't able to get back to the shore. But hey, here's a good word. At least it's a good word for me. There's nothing you can do. Listen to this. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right when you're still fighting against God. And that's the predicament Jonah's in. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right when you're fighting against God except for one thing, and that's to repent. That's what you got to do here. And finally, they understood the only thing we can do in, in, to make the seas calm and to save our life is for the one that's fighting against God to give up. By the way, whenever you give up fighting against God and you surrender, we don't like to talk about surrender in churches anymore, but if you surrender... You experience victory. I was watching the Masters yesterday a little bit. I love watching the Masters when they're on. And, um, and I was watching it yesterday. I saw a replay of this. A, a fellow golfer got a hole-in-one. When he got a hole-in-one, guess what he did? I think I would have too. Then I would have had a heart attack, but he got a hole-in-one, right? <laughs> if you surrender, it's not a picture of defeat. It's a picture of victory. If only Jonah would have done that here. So until you stop fighting, you're not going to win. I remind you, God never gives up on people that are far from him. He never gives up on people that fight against him. He never gives up on people that fail him. And I don't know about you, but I sure have my fair share of failings against God. If it had not been for God's grace and that great fish, Jonah's story would have been 
over. Now, now let's just kind of skip down to verse 17. Because if, if the end of the story would have happened before verse 17, hmm, but it doesn't end there. God looked down from heaven, and, and look what happened at verse 17. And the Lord appointed <laughs> a great fish. It probably wasn't a brim or a crappie, okay? But the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish how many days? How many nights? Yeah, three. Three days and three nights. Now, I know what some people like to think about when they read this portion of Jonah. Like, man, that's just really kind of stretching it. <laughs> That is outlandish. Who believes that? I do. Now, I'm glad some of y'all raised your hands as well. Yeah, I have no problem believing this exactly as it is written in Scripture. I believe with all my heart that God appointed a great fish to swallow a man named Jonah. <laughs> and, and I don't have to make up any excuses for it. I don't have to consult the history books, but by the way, I'm an inquisitive person, and I have. I'll tell you about that next week. All right? Um, you don't have to consult the history books. You don't have to consult the internet to say, hey, has this ever happened before? I take God's word as God's word, right? And if you take God's word as God's word, it's a word of truth because God cannot lie. So if God can appoint a great fish, giant fish, uh, to swallow a man. And you know what? God's such a big God. He could have used a brim or a bass or what have you. But it's a giant fish, you know, that's what we're told here. And the Lord appointed this great fish and... You know the rest of the story. Here's what the Bible teaches. God made everything. Y'all agree with that? And if God made everything, if he's, the, if he's the creator of the universe, it's his prerogative because he's the great I am, right? He's God, and if he wants to appoint a great fish and, and to use nature as he created nature, since he's over nature, yeah, we ought to be able to be able to stomach, <laughs> we ought to be able to stomach this giant fish swallowing a human named Jonah. Now listen, that fish was not punishment for Jonah. I want to paint another picture for you. That fish was not Jonah's punishment. That fish was a picture of God's grace. That fish was, um, hey, for all we know, Jonah could have called him Gracie. We don't know. But that fish there was basically God's lifeboat for Jonah to preserve him and to give him a second chance be obedient <laughs> and the moment that all oh, this is great the moment of Jonah's greatest failure God gave him grace and it reminds me of the moment of our greatest failure God gives you grace he gives me grace you know on one day some of Jesus's opponents were asking him give us a sign that you really are who you say you are Jesus and and he gave him a sign over in Matthew 12 he says you're, you're a perverse and adulterous generation uh, you're not going to be given a sign except for the sign of Jonah and this is what it says <laughs> for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth the point of mankind's greatest failure is when we crucified and buried the son of God and at the point of our greatest failure, God reached down to us in our failure, and he showed us grace, and three days later, guess who's out of the tomb? His name is? All right. God never gives up on us, even when we fail him. And boy, we can fail him greatly, can't we? Now, let me meddle a little bit. Have you ever given up on somebody that's failed you? Hey, just to be totally transparent, I have. 
And there may be people here today that's given up on somebody that's failed in. Maybe there's parents that are here, maybe they're watching online and they're giving up on a child that's been wayward forever. And you say, you know what, Lord, I've had enough. Maybe a couple's here and they've just kind of given up on their spouse or given up on their marriage. Maybe there's somebody here that's given up on a friend that's hurt them. God, God never gives up on us. So who are we to give up on others? Hey, by the way, if I'm stepping on your toes, I've already stepped on mine. Because there have been days and seasons in my life when I've given up on people because they've hurt me or they've hurt people I love. So I do what President Trump has said. I build a wall, a giant wall around my heart. <laughs> that probably wasn't Trump, but anyway, y'all are getting to know me a little bit right now. So I build the wall to protect myself. That kind of sounds like Clinton, not Trump, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, great time of day. Get back into the message. God never gives up on people, and we shouldn't either. Some of you here today may be giving up on yourself. Because as you look at your life, all you see is like one failure after another when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Hey, you know the beautiful thing about our relationship with the Lord is that you know, he puts all that in your past, never to hold it against you again. And it's all because of grace. I love this verse here in Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So when we fail Jesus in every way imaginable, hey, it's just a reminder to us that, that Jesus died for us because of his grace because of his love for you. Let me um, use your sanctified imagination. Y'all got one? I know the person beside you probably don't, but you probably have one, right? So let's use your, use your sanctified imagination. Mitch has got a great one, I'm sure. So use your sanctified imagination here. You got a whole brand new box of crayons, and yes, I splurged on you, you got Crayola, right? And, and I want you just to paint a picture in your mind, draw a picture in your mind, of when you felt really, really small. Um, several years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention met in Phoenix, and we went out there. It's not often we go out west, so we went out there, and then we took some extended personal time. We went to see, uh, we, we went to see the Grand Canyon. Wow, right? I mean, that's, that's a sight to behold. Now, some, some members of my family, we get out there and we kind of, they did the Chevy Chase thing. You know, they looked at the Grand Canyon and go, all right, let's go. But I'm there like going, whoa, where's a cup of coffee, Robert? I want to sit here and, and, and just gaze at, at what Noah's flood left here. Because I believe it's a worldwide flood. I believe that's how the Grand Canyon got there, worldwide flood. I can prove it, but that's another sermon. But anyway, I, I just wanted to sit there on, on the edge of the rock there, uh, not really close to the edge, you know, because I'm kind of scared of heights, but just sit there and think, wow, look what God did, and just have a cup of coffee there. And, and, and I can imagine, as I was looking at the Grand Canyon and how vast it is, thinking, gosh, I'm small. <laughs> another time I felt small was when um, I was in Zambia, uh, there's an old slogan that when you, when you get the dirt of Africa under your soles, you never get it off of you. And, and I went to Zambia several years ago, taught at a Bible college there, and I really, really want to go back. But I talked to Tina just about every night, and she's like, well, what are you doing? 
Well, I ain't watching TV, that's for one thing, because we didn't have any TV over there. Um, internet connection was pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> and she said, what are you doing? I'm like, well, look at the Southern Cross. You can't see the Southern Cross from our hemisphere, but you can see it from that hemisphere. So what are you doing tonight? Well, look at the Southern Cross. And the Milky Way just really comes alive there because there's no other light. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere where we were in Zambia. And I remember thinking, gosh, I feel small. So draw a picture in your mind of that time when you felt really, really small. And maybe whatever you're drawing in your mind, you feel small because there is a time or times when you failed the Lord. Or maybe you failed somebody you really love. You hurt someone when you didn't mean to, or you said something you wish you never would have said, or you did something you never, ever thought you would do. All right, so y'all drawing that picture in your mind of when you felt really, really small? Some of you may be doing that. Because here's what I can promise you. If you were drawing a picture of yourself at the Grand Canyon, and if you were at the bottom of that canyon, and if your spouse or your children were looking for you, they could be standing right over you at the top saying, well, gosh, where is Dad? I don't see him down there. If God were to draw a picture of you and you're in the Grand Canyon, you're the biggest thing that he sees because you certainly don't look small to him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he's never going to give up on people like you or people like me. When you feel so small, you're, seeing, you're really big to him. And that's why he sent his son for people like you people like me. Let me ask you to bow your head. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And we um, sing our final song and it's always going to be a song of decision. You know, God may have spoken to your heart through a song or through an encouraging word of somebody that's here, a church family member. Or maybe God did a work with you through um, the preaching of his word. We always think a closing song is an opportunity for you to respond publicly if you feel like that's what God wants you to do. But in these quiet moments, uh, as we think about how much God loves us and never gives up on us, I want to encourage you just to give your life to God. Let your life be an open book. And maybe there's a failure in your life. Maybe there's failures in your life. And today you just need to give them to God and let him just say, hey, I've, I've forgotten those failures. I've never given up on you. You're not far from me. I want you to come home. And maybe, maybe you feel like you're far from God in these moments and God's just speaking into your heart. And, hey, know this. He just wants to build a bridge between himself and you. And that bridge is called Jesus. And if you've never given your life to him, I pray you'll do that today. Father God, um, thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us when we are far from you, for never giving up on us, Heavenly Father, when we fight against you, for never giving up on us, Father, when we fail you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would minister to those that are here today. Speak to us, draw us to yourself, Lord. Change us so we might look more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this.